Hello, this is Eden on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. Welcome back to my show, Garden of Eden. It's Garden of Eden and I'm your host. I talk about what I like most. Garden of Eden. <laughs> Here today with Bill Radke, a radio talk show host, web video host, author, comedian, columnist, lots of things. Uh, he currently hosts KUOW's the record and week in review. Mr. Radke, thank you so much for being here today. Great to be here. You can also hear me on the bridge. I'm also making an appearance on your show right now. Oh, well, well, yes. So I'm, I should I'm adding that to my adding it to my credits. <laughs> that should be in your credentials now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I gave a little bit of background on you, but I, I think I should hand it to you to, to talk a little bit more about how you got into radio broadcasting and what else you do. Well, I was, uh, when I was in college at the University of Washington in 1980, I started in 83, I went to the newspaper, the UW Daily, which is still around, and I was a uh, proofreader and a copy editor and assistant editor, and it was two doors, two floors down from the radio station above, and I would see people, you know, walking down from whatever was going on up on the third floor, and, and, uh, and I found out that it was a radio station, and I'm used to talking. I'm in the middle of nine kids. So if I want any attention, I got to speak up for myself, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I just, uh, I thought I'd give it a try. So I started as a Husky uh, college student. So you, you worked as a part of UW's radio station. That's right. Wow. And I'm curious, how is radio different in general now than it was then? That's a good question, Eden. Um, well, public radio is, is actually kind of similar, I would say, because we have this very well-known national program provider, NPR. A lot of people know NPR, National Public Radio, and they do these shows like Morning Edition and All Things Considered. And they, you know, during the during rush hour, a lot of people hear them then. And then we do our own local shows. Um, we have uh, we we used to have music on uh, back then, classical music and news, but now we're all news. But it's it's kind of similar to what it always was, which is different from podcasts. I mean, podcasts have really, really opened up our ability mm -hmm. to hear audio talking type of shows. But as far as what's on 94.9 FM on my radio station, I'm kind of doing similar stuff to what I was doing back then. I've done different shows, but right now it's just a kind of a one hour daily news interview show. And it probably sounds pretty similar to what it did a few decades ago. Okay, that's interesting and good to hear that we can still cling on to some of the old radio feel. <laughs> that's true. Um, so you already, you mentioned you create these like kind of sometimes long form, sometimes shorter form, like news content, conversations with all different types of people. And your content is, is diverse, but also distinct in that you can tell kind of that it's yours. And I'm curious what values drive the content, the content that you create. Yeah, uh, man. You're good at this. That's a great question because it's really important, and we we talk about that stuff, and it and it can evolve. Um, I would say the main values for my show now, which is called the Record, and then on Friday mm -hmm. we can review. It's like this panel of journalists. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's called the Record, and then we can review on on Friday. Um, we are trying to be local because mm -hmm. we have national international coverage. So our show, we want it to be local. We want it to be very timely. We want listeners to know why they're listening to this right here, right now. Like you should, and you shouldn't have to be hard to explain. It should be like, oh yeah, I'm, 
yeah, they're talking about that thing that I'm interested in going on. Um, and, and so we're, we want to be relevant and topical. Um, we want to bring a diversity of viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Want to talk to a diversity of people from different backgrounds because that just gives the listener more, just gives you more, more ideas, more ways to think about things. Um, uh, you know, we want to be fair. We want to be accurate. We, I wouldn't say everything is balanced in every moment. So it's not like every time someone says something, we immediately have to have someone on who disagrees and, and, and they're going to sort of debate it out. But so sometimes we'll have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone who's clearly coming from a point of view and, and we don't, <clears throat> we're not rebutting everything they're saying at the moment. But over time, we do try to, okay, we spoke to how landlords feel about this. And then, and then we're going to have tenants on um, who feel differently. So that we, as I say, get a, a diversity of viewpoints. So that serves as a good way, a segue into talking a little bit more about diversity. So mm -hmm. you, you talk to so many different people with so many different, like, backgrounds and opinions mm -hmm. and by contrast you live on mercer island yeah and some would argue that it lacks a lot of diversity and i know you can find diversity anyway anywhere but it lacks a lot of diversity yeah. um like what is life like on mercer island for, for you and do you notice the contrast and how do you bring elements of your work into your life maybe to your kids and just to the community in general I do. I notice it all the time. First of all, I'm glad you said that diversity is not always, you didn't exactly say this, but I kind of took you to say that diversity is not always obvious that you can, you know, I mean, my, my kids, all, all my kids, their, their best friends are children of immigrants and, you know, and, and uh, there's, you know, there is, there's diversity of experience and background, but, uh, and, and there's, and we live in the South end of Mercer Island. Um, uh, as you go up north, there's, you know, it, it's less and less automatic that, that someone has a, you know, a big house with a yard and et cetera. So, you know, it, it, so there, there's diversity within the island. But having said that, we also lack diversity, obviously, in tons mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, financial. It's, it's still like 75% white on this island um, and, and wealthy and all of that stuff. Um, so I do notice it and we did, my wife is her, her job is the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the mm. company. So she deals with, um, these issues and therefore we, and, and I deal with them on in news and on my radio station. So we're just sort of steeped in these conversations. We have them all the mm -hmm. time, kids. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I, I notice it. I don't really participate in, I have hosted a couple of Mercer Island debates, like candidate debates, just asking the questions, but I don't personally get involved in, in politics. Um, we're, we're actually not really allowed to. We don't, we don't want us to take sides on contentious issues because we just, we're, we're trying to stay uh, neutral. I don't know if I, if I got to everything in your good question, but, <laughs> but we're definitely aware of diversity here. I mean, I, we will get to more later on, I'm sure. And I, before we move on from talking about Mercer Island, I did see that you did an episode for the record uh, concerning a little bit about the homeless ordinance that yep. passed yesterday. Yep. Yep. And yep. I wanted to know, especially because we talk about the lack of diversity in a lot of ways on Mercer Island and people 
well, I, I say people, but I would say that a lot of the lack of diversity contributes to decisions made like the homelessness ordinance and not considering a lot of these other groups and then the other factors that go into it. What is your take on the homeless ordinance and the way that it reflects on our community? Well, uh, as I said, I, I try to keep my personal politics out of things in public, mm -hmm. um, just because it, it helps to be able to welcome all different kinds of points of view in the radio. And I don't want to be part of the story, but mm -hmm. I say that um, uh, separate from my own opinion that the um, Mercer Island, first of all, camping was already prohibited in, in part. Mm -hmm but they extended it to other public spaces, including people on sleeping in vehicles on public streets. And um, it's, it's not just a little Mercer Island issue because um, Mercer Island police will theoretically escort uh, people who are camping off the island to where? Well, to, to homeless shelters, maybe in Bellevue, et cetera, except Bellevue shelters have a waiting list right now. Mm -hmm. The winter time, um, people would rather be inside uh, if, if that makes sense for them. Also, we're in a pandemic, which reduces the amount of shelter space you can have because you can't crowd people in shelters the same way. So, and there are court rulings about whether you can uh, outlaw or criminalize uh, uh, camping when you don't, when there's not a place for that person to go instead. So mm -hmm. that would be an issue. And also, um, King County is trying to make a countywide approach to homelessness because why should it be that all the homeless services are in Seattle and maybe a little in Bellevue, a little here and a little there? Um, is that th this is an open question? Should should all the services be in as few places as possible, or should they be spread out? King County can't tell Mercer Island to put you know affordable housing and homeless shelters and 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 homeless services in Mercer Island. But the state legislature could allow counties to, to tell cities that and to, and to decide, we're going to put a shelter here, 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 whether you like it or not. So, I mean, this all, I could go on even that I won't. This, you know, it ties into transportation. Uh, we've got um, buses and light rails, making it easier for people who live in far-flung places instead of kind of being stuck in their, in their towns. So, that's a kind of a long way of saying that this, we're going to be, it's not just because of Mercer Island, there's lots of cities in position, and we're going to be talking about issues like this uh, camping ordinance and shelters. We're going to be talking about this for literally years. It's a big deal. So I think what we can see from just what you said about the ordinance is that it's a very nuanced issue. Um, it's not like a one and done deal, but mm -hmm. I think post ordinance being passed, we're seeing a lot of division on the island. And even I was camping uh, earlier today, I got back and we talked to this man this morning in Squim who heard about Mercer Island on the news and mm -hmm. was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what they're doing I'm on Mercer Island. That's crazy. I can't believe. And, and it's just this extra thing that's like adding division to our community. And throughout 2020 and even the beginning of 2021, seen a ton of division locally, statewide, and then nationally, and even yeah. beyond. Um, what is your take on the political atmosphere in the United States right now, and also divides in general and what we can do about them? You know, I have been an optimist my whole life because I basically have thought, and I, and I think I've observed, that people basically learn. And we, we basically, over time, 
we correct, we, we, we get better, we do things better than we did before. That's how I've always felt. I'm, I'm not saying I'm doom and gloom, but I'm more concerned than I've ever been because what I, what's new to me is, um, you know, the, is social media and, and the internet. And if, you, if you're in your mental bubble, you can just consume the information that you want to, and you can select it. Why would you make yourself feel uncomfortable with a different perspective? Mm -hmm. We just get served fast food, you know, just the same opinions in the same echo chamber that, that makes you feel so righteous. And, and um, I think it's a, it's a problem. I think we're, um, and, you know, I think the Trump, again, my politics aside, I don't think the Trump presidency helped at all. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, you know, I don't, you don't have to be partisan to say that the stuff about the election being rigged and fraudulent was a lie and, and, and lies are just becoming, um, you know, you have QAnon, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I am, I'm getting concerned with people's ability to believe what they want to believe. And to your question about division, that's got to make us more divided. If I can't understand that, look, I don't know everything. There's a lot of different ways of looking at this you probably want what you think is best as well. So what can I learn from you? You know, how can I just keep my mind open and learn? Um, I'm concerned that that's not where a lot of people's heads are at. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can bring the temperature down, but it's, uh, it's concerning to me, Eden. Yeah, I, I mean, for, for sure, we live in this age of like misinformation that's just like perpetuated through social media and I think it was like a combination of the past presidency and then social media and these like small groups having a platform through social media. I'm, this is a big question that I think lots of people are trying to answer, but where do you think a solution could come from for, for this problem and for the issue of misinformation, like regulation or I don't know, government or is it society? It's a, man, it's a great question. You're good at your job. I hope we, <laughs> someday when you're when, when you're ready when you're out of school because you're good at this um, I mean you're asking the same questions we're asking right now and a lot of a lot of your listeners too solutions well um, you know regulation I, I'm a little more optimistic than some people are I think about regulation because um, we could I don't know whether it's the right thing to do to to break up big social media platforms I'm not that smart but I know that we have the ability to, if we decide to as a society, we could um, downsize some of these platforms and allow more platforms to compete so that when a platform says, no, you're not, you're not going to spread those lies or you're not going to, that's not the kind of discourse we want on our site. It won't feel so much like a freedom of speech, you know, uh, cancellation because because there's, you know, we want there to be lots of places for people to be heard, um, and and if and if some people are, if they go so far that 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 no um, platform with any kind of following or respectability wants them on their site, well, that's just called being accountable. You know, you don't you can say what you want, but if you say what you want and people don't want any part of you. That's uh, that's kind of our <laughs> that's our market uh, our information market. So that's just accountability. So I'm hoping that um, that sites can uh, 
can, they're private sites and they don't have to allow speech that they don't want to have. And if they want to say to the public, we're a place of dialogue and discourse and facts, um, and, and, and we're going to kick somebody off who doesn't live up to that. I, I do personally, I feel like I want that to be okay. Mm -hmm. As, um, you know, solutions about uh, like getting us out of our, our silos and out of our bubbles. Um, this, there may be, maybe this is another sort of technical algorithm type of question. Maybe we can technically get better at, at quickly, the, the, the most influential sites maybe can, can get better at regulating speech, like flagging lies and, mm -hmm. and just appending a message saying, um, hey, it sounds like you're talking about this important thing. Here's some here we here's what we've decided are some reputable places of information. Um, they'll always be like probably dark web sites, right? Where if you don't want to deal with that, you can just go and be with your conspiracy theory friends. But hopefully, I'll, I know I'm talking a long time. One last thing I'll add is that I have seen studies. I don't know whether to trust them, but that the basic idea is you might think conspiracy theories are worse than ever and more popular than ever. I've seen studies that show that's not really true. Mm -hmm. Hearing about them a lot, and especially with the election lies and QAnon, we're hearing about it, but that there's always been and always gonna be some numbers of people who wanna stoke a conspiracy theory, but the majority are, are really are not interested in that. I hope that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, you see the media, they wanna focus on what what is interesting and entertaining and what's like eye candy, so it seems like there's a very far left and a very far right. And there's mm -hmm. so many people in the middle that just don't have the same, the same like platform and aren't pushed the same. But oh, it's so hard with the like social media highlighting what, what's false and, and what's true. And then working on banning people who aren't like, we saw Donald Trump being banned from a lot of social media platforms, like especially Twitter. But then mm -hmm. voices from the conservative end are saying like they're pushing their agenda and they'll say, oh, this is fake news. And so it gets really like, ugh, it's it's hard to know. Um, and hopefully something can change, but it's really hard to say. And I can't totally blame conservatives who say that. I mean, Twitter is, this is what I mean. Twitter is hugely influential. It's so influential that it can feel unfair for, for Twitter. Like who's Jack Dorsey? Who are his shareholders? And they're deciding that, you know, Donald Trump doesn't get this, um, this platform. I, I, that's not crazy to me. And it doesn't make me angry. I just, uh, you know, we've already been talking about why it's just not a, but it's not a simple thing. I also don't feel like it's just outrageous and should be, you know, Twitter should be, uh, you know, you should storm their headquarters or something. Uh, but we're, <laughs> about that. Uh, I wanted to add one more thing that you, because you talked about left people being on the left and the right, which is pretty interesting. Like, why is it that there would only be two parties? I mean, there's more than two parties, but there are basically two main choices. And those parties have all this power and they keep themselves in power. So they, we, our system makes it hard for people to say, well, you know, I, I believe a little bit of what this person says, a little what that person says. I have maybe a a stance that sounds liberal on whatever it is on this social issue, but I'm also you'd 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 call me a conservative. If I told you how I felt about taxes or whatever. Why do I have to be one or the other? There's no reason. So I personally, again, I'm no expert, but I'm hoping that our 
political system allows for um, more representation of different points of view than just right and left. Yeah. I mean, seems like uh, even what you've talked about already, a lot of the content you create is about hearing from people who have all different opinions on all different things. And speaking of, and also getting a little bit more into the broadcasting side of things, yeah. you have conversations with people all across the political spectrum who have all different beliefs and values. How are you able to facilitate so many different types of conversations in such a level-headed way and also keep a lot of your opinion out of it and keep it news and fact-based while also being like super entertaining and giving all kinds of people a platform? Well, that's a kind way to put it. I mean, some people would, would say like to have no use for this kind of even-handed approach. Well, let's let everyone speak and, and, and maybe we should welcome all points of view. Um, uh, some people that's frustrating. It helps for me. My personality is I, um, I just don't think I'm that important. And I don't think that my own personal opinion is all that necessarily all that wise. Uh, I'm just, I have a little, I have my own opinion from my own biases. You know, I've got my own blind spot, blind spots and, and my own background. And I, I'm more of a, I've always been this way my whole, whole life, even sort of outside of, of media. I'm, I, I look to other people like to crowdsource, you know, what, what do you think? And what do you think? I'm maybe, and some people would just call that wimpy, right? Like, a, you know, just be forceful. And there's only, there's, there's the best way. And that's not really me. So it comes pretty naturally to me to, um, I, 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 it is my job to try to, to fact check people, which can be hard live radio, but I still want to hear people out who I disagree with. It doesn't threaten me. I just want to, I want to understand them. It doesn't mean I have to agree with them. It doesn't mean listeners have to agree with them. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of being able to have a conversation with someone without having to agree with them or change their mind or fight them. But do you ever find yourself frustrated and like, gosh, I just want to say this, but I'm trying not to like start an argument or go against mm. their opinion? Um, well, I have found myself, uh, I'll give you an example. I was frustrated when I was interviewing a Washington state uh, representative who I, I, I thought we were going to talk about, um, uh, gosh, was it like uh, the electoral college or something? And, but we were on live and he started talking about, you know, elections being fraudulent. And I, and I just, and I was asking, well, I mean, Every election has, I'm sure that every election ever has had somebody who, you know, voted twice or they, they turned in, especially in Washington state, you know, they turned in a ballot for their spouse who had just died or, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfect system, but I was saying, because he was talking about there being irregularities and I was saying, yeah, but irregularities, that's not the same as saying there was fraud that swung the election. And, and he said that, you know, remember when this is before your time, but uh, several years ago, there was a very close Washington election where the Democrat ended up becoming Christine Gregoire ended up becoming governor of Washington. And he said, I don't I don't trust I don't trust any elections ever since then. And I and and, and I, I just was a little surprised to hear that. And and then we did the show and, and afterward, colleagues of mine were saying, 
you know, if it was me, I would have said, you don't trust any election because there was this one close governor's election. Does that mean you don't trust your own election? And yeah. I, I felt like I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, when I get frustrated, it's that I want to, in a fair way, I want, I wish I were perfect at presenting some factual point of view that stops the person I'm talking to, doesn't belittle them, but just stops them, uh, that kind of forces them to um, acknowledge that that their line of thinking is just one, either it's something isn't true, or they're just looking at it from their own point of view, and they're not, they're, there's, there's plenty of other ways to look at it, and I wish I could be so persuasive and eloquent that people would really just in the moment change and, and yeah. And instead, it's uh, people. It's just hard to um, it's hard to get people to think in a way different from how they already think. It's uncomfortable for people. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not. I don't like interrupting people. And I'm not very good sometimes at my job. Do you think with some people like that representative that you can't change their mind? That there's nothing you could really say. Well. I always think that if I, you know, if it hadn't been live, if it had been on tape, which is when we record an interview, and I could just, I could sit there, really, and I could try again, and I could try again, and something else will come to me, and then, and, but, but we're not, listeners aren't having to be sort of frustrated, like, where's this going? It sounds wandering, or the guest is going to bring up some real minutia and get in the weeds and then like what so and, but when you're editing you got to be fair when you edit you know you don't want to change the to, to misrepresent the guest but you can refocus you can just make an edit refocus the conversation on the most important part and just go to where the guest did answer something or you did get to, it doesn't even have to be an argument it could be something you like you kind of like oh yeah i can see that you know that you got to someplace uh, I, I always, I, I go in thinking that anybody could in the, while we're having the conversation, they could have an aha moment. Otherwise, why bother? But mm -hmm. is, but I don't know, that may be overly rosy, rosy thinking. Even though you've said like, Ugh, sometimes I wish that I could do this or this or this, I would say you are a very, very, very strong communicator. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that's something that you built over time being a radio broadcaster. For someone trying to work on their communication skills and work on being able to have conversations with lots of different people, what would you say to them? What advice would you give? There are a couple of questions that are always a good question. Um, one of them is why. It doesn't, you're not showing off, you're not showing how fancy, how much knowledge you have. You're just being curious. Someone says something, and I have to remind myself of this, almost anybody could be just the mayor who I, who I speak to live every Thursday or, or, or anybody. They say something, there's often an honest curiosity that you have. And it's, it's you don't have to think of a fancy question. You can just say, what is that? And well, why do you think, it, you know how little kids will do that to their parents, right? Mm -hmm. Why, why? But it's it's just a great question. So when in doubt, make sure you understand why. Um, and I'll, I'll bet you can find a why that you don't totally get. And and your listeners, there's some list, people listening to you that also are like, well, yeah, why is it? There's something about why that just makes people, I think, just like, oh, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to understand. Mm -hmm. And then another thing is, uh, 
what what do you mean? Like, what's an example of that? Like, make 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 the person that you're interviewing be be really specific and clear. Because if you really listen to the way most people talk, me included, almost anybody, we speak in generalities. Mm-hmm. But it's because well you know, you get the point. You don't want me to, 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 you don't want to be bored while I spell everything out in detail. Another reason is if I'm vague, then I don't have to be quite as accountable, uh, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> general and it's safe. I'm maybe I'm less likely to be wrong because I said it in kind of a vague way. Well, but if you're interviewing someone, it's your job to know what are we really talking about? So I would say why and what's an example? What do you mean? Why do you say that? What, you know, what, what, tell me a time when that, when that happened. Uh, those are just two great interview questions. Was that, was that what you were asking me about? No, yeah, no, I think that that's great advice. I think that yeah. that advice applies to like, um, to interviewing, but I think also just communicating in general. Yeah, yeah I agree. I feel like it is such a powerful thing to show people that you're actually interested in what they're saying and curious in what their answer is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And you mentioned like kids are always asking why, why, why? And I know you have kids yourself. How, how old are they? If you're comfortable sharing? Yeah. I have a 14 year old and two 10 year old twins. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're a parent. Yeah. Um, how has being, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but how has being a parent influenced your broadcasting? And then how has being a broadcaster influenced your parenting? Hmm. Well, let's see. Being a broadcaster has influenced my parenting because, number one, I do think it's made me feel comfortable asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hope I can I can put people at ease, and I know I also know I I have some idea which questions tend to give better answers. I'll give you an example. Um, if you ask a question with a yes, no answer, you're probably going to get less of an answer and less interesting answer than if you ask who, what, when, where, why, how. Mm-hmm. Those questions do not have yes or no answers. The person has to say more. And so that's just, but it doesn't sound, there's nothing um, weird sounding about it. You just ask a question that starts with a W and, and, and the person will open up more. Um, so I guess I learned that and that's good. You know, if you're trying to get kids to, to open up to you, it's good. Um, and being a broadcaster has affected my parenting because I'm so well aware of this, this. Some of the things that you brought up, Eden, division, diversity, you know, different points of view, current events. All, I try to bring this stuff into my conversation with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as a broadcaster, I'm paying attention to the world and how people treat each other and, and, and tough decisions we make and what's fair, what's not fair, just all great stuff for kids to absorb. So I, I try to bring that to my home. Um, as for being a parent and how that affects my broadcasting, I would say um, I, I have more at stake personally in in how things turn out (laughs) and uh, i guess i can i can relate to other parents who are often people that i talk to um but i guess i know those are pretty small bore i guess i feel like it goes more one way than the other because i tell eden i don't i don't want to dwell too much on my 
kids, my experience as a parent when I'm on the radio, because I feel that that's going to exclude people who don't have kids. Uh -huh. I kind of, I, I don't really talk that much. Every once in a while, if there's some funny little story and it relates to the news, I might chip it in, but <laughs> much. I'll, I'll bet some listeners who listen to me, I don't know. I'm guessing that not all of them even know about my kids because I oh. most just like, I want to relate to everybody, not just the parents. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Um, and just really quick, I, I want to ask because I love the radio broadcasting program at the high school. Um, yeah. Your oldest might be an eighth grade freshman. I'm not sure. Do you think you'll encourage your kids to be a part of 88.9 or are you going to let them see what they want to do? Well, I would, I would love for them to get into radio because it'd be fun for me, but <laughs> something we talk about they know what I do for a living and uh uh so far none of them when they talk about like what do you want to do none of them has ever said I want to be a radio host um <laughs> yeah that's okay with me but uh but it'd be it'd be fun wouldn't it yeah um well I encourage that I encourage anybody to be a part of the radio broadcasting program but that's just I'm biased me too me too um I we're getting, we're nearing the end, but one question I wanted to ask is, even throughout this interview, you seem like such a cool, calm and collected person. And in your radio content, no matter who you're talking to, you remain very like cool, calm and collected. Yeah. Is this always the case or are you ever intimidated by your guests or has this changed over time as you've become more experienced? Well, um, I am happy to say that I've worked on this, Eden. Um, I used to be a more, a more troubled person and I have become more even tempered as I've gotten more um, humble. And I'm a big fan of something called mindfulness, which I think they teach in schools these days because mindfulness really, mindfulness just means me not getting caught up in every thought that I have, but instead just noticing Oh, I'm thinking about that. Oh, I'm I'm feeling that. Um, you know, what's that about? What what can I do for myself and and what can I do for 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 people around me? There's the, there's a a bit of a um not getting too caught up and that could be not getting too caught up in somebody else has a different opinion of what's right and wrong. Well, that's life, you know. Life is hard, right? Life is people, I want something and you, maybe you don't want me to have that or you want something different. Um, well, that's, yeah, you've got thoughts too. You know, I, I don't think I'm explaining this very well, but, but being, being mindful um, and, and humble has just helped me be a better parent and a better spouse and maybe better on the radio because I don't need the world to have the same story running in their head that I do. I know that we all we all tell ourselves stories and that's cool, but the story isn't necessarily reality. And so we can all chill a little bit and give each other a little grace. That was, I think that was a fabulous answer. Um, I wanted to end with the last question of if you have any other advice for aspiring broadcasters, but I mean, already, throughout this entire thing, you've given so much advice that I, I will take away and I'm sure other people will. Um, but uh, any other advice for aspiring broadcasters? Um, well, I would say, well, I guess one thing, when I, when I was growing up and I used to listen to talk radio when I was a young teenager and even call in, sometimes I'd call in. And, um, and so I really liked radio from early on. 
But back then, the way to be on radio or TV in the news was pretty much to be a certain kind of person. And I think I probably am that. Here I am, this white, straight, male, you know, I mean, like I, I've got my own specific demographic. And when I was younger, that was rewarded. Like you looked on TV and you listened to the radio and you had people that pretty much sounded like me. And I was in a way in unconsciously imitating to go along to sort of like, oh, that's how people, that's credible. And, and thankfully, we, we've really learned so much, uh, you know, we like people like me, that, that you don't have to imitate, you know, I don't know if you even Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather and all these, you know, famous old broadcasters. Um, what I love about radio and podcasting is that people more and more are, are, are coming from their own backgrounds and they're not hiding them. They're like, this is who I am. This is my story. This is my culture. This is my point of view. And, and that's not marginalized the way it used to be. So I would say to anybody listening, you know, don't assume that you can't be a broadcaster because you don't sound a certain way or have a certain education or a certain life story. People want to hear, you know, authentic stories of, of, of a whole bin, a bunch of different kind of people. So, you know, if you love interviewing, questioning, writing, explaining, learning, you know, all those things, then you can be in the, in radio, you can be a journalist. Mm -hmm. I, I, that is so spot on. I think what I love most about radio is that there is a place for every single person. Anyone can be in radio. Um, yeah. And wow, this has been awesome. And do you have any other thoughts or anything else you want to expand on before we end off? No, I think we, uh, I think we covered it, Eden. You're great at your job. You, you, you're, you're already uh, terrific at this. You're skilled and you're thoughtful. And so thanks for having me on and good luck to you. Well, thank you so much for being here, Mr. Radke. Uh, this has been Eden on 88.9 The Bridge, joined with radio host Bill Radke. I hope you have a great rest of your day.